Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. On a mission to bring the benefits of sport to kids everywhere, they go beyond technology to provide leaders with professional development and relationship building, and to work with sports-based organizations to address issues of accessibility and equality. To learn more, find them at League Apps com or as league apps on all of the social networks now here's the host of the show longtime soccer broadcaster and voice of united soccer coaches dean linky i am dean linky this is the united soccer coaches podcast it is presented by league apps and we do indeed have a fantastic show covering all important issues and to kick it off we open the doors again for one of our great advocacy groups and i'll let their leader introduce himself and our guest today. My name is Ashu Saxena and I chair the API Coaches and Allies Community Group. And today we're talking about mental health with Chris Molnab and Chris Lee. And as part of that mental health message, just nine days away from World Semicolon Day, Chris Molnab, a former USL coach who survived a suicide attempt, shares his story with an open heart, and he explains what World Semicolon Day is. World Semicolon Day is April 16th. It's celebrated every year. Um, and it started with Project Semicolon. And the meaning behind the, the semicolon from a grammatical standpoint, it's where a an author could have used a period to end the sentence. However, they chose to use a semicolon to be able to continue that sentence. Um, in regards to life, um, we are the authors, right? And the sentence is our life. And as a suicide attempt survivor, life or the universe um, decided to put a semicolon rather than a period to allow us to continue our life. And so that's that's where the symbolism comes comes in with with a semicolon. Ashu, Chris, and Chris are brilliant, and we will hear more from them. They will also share resources and help coaches be aware, keep an eye out for players and people around them that might be struggling, that might be having those kind of thoughts and how we can help them. It really is a great first two segments with Ashu, Chris, and Chris, and then, of course, Sport brings us all together. It brings us joy. And how much joy did we get from little St. Peter's, the Peacocks, making a deep run into the Elite Eight of the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament, won by Kansas on Monday night over North Carolina. St. Peter's all the way to the Elite Eight. So Brandon Milburn and Bailey Conklin and Jeff Van Dusen said, you know what? Let's go talk to the St. Peter's men's and women's soccer coaches. And that's exactly what we did as we talked to their women's coach first by way of Australia. By the way, she played in two World Cups and an Olympics, talking about Julia Bazzi and the 12-year top man for the St. Peter's men's soccer coach by way of England, Julian Richens. That's our show. It's a fantastic one. And it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, League Apps. 
We bet you didn't get into this business for the back office duties. That's why we created League Apps, the industry's leading youth sports management platform. So you can spend less time with busy work and more time doing what you love. League Apps provides organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. Once again, here's the host of the show, Dean Linky. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. I am Dean Linky, and as you know, if you've listened to this show, I'm always ready to open up the airwaves to the incredible advocacy groups for United Soccer Coaches. That includes the API and Allies Advocacy Group for United Soccer Coaches, led by Ishu Saxwena, who's done an amazing job pushing forward great guests. Today is April 7th. We are just over a week away from World Semi-Colon Day. We'll explain exactly what that means as we continue to try to put the spotlight on mental health awareness and also suicide prevention. And we're actually going to spend time courtesy of a shoe who I will welcome into this show with Chris Molinav, a former USL pro coach, a warrior for mental health awareness and a suicide survivor and Chris Molinab, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thank you, Dean, for having me on. And he's not the only Chris we have on, is we also have Chris Lee on. And Chris Lee is a school and club psychologist. And Chris, as I welcome you in, if you could tell me where you're a school and club psychologist, I think that will help all of us. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, Dean. So I'm based in upstate New York. I coach. I'm the girls director of coaching at the Albany Alley Cats in Albany, New York. And I also work at two special ed schools as a school psychologist. One is based out of Albany. That's uh, the Neil Hellman School. The other school is based out of Schenectady, New York, which is uh, the school at Northeast. So that's where I'm currently working on the pitch and off the pitch. All right. Well done. And Ashu, we're going to spend more time with you as well next month when it's API Heritage Month. But one of the things that I've enjoyed about you is you've seen value in the podcast. Clearly, there's value in today's show. Very heady topic, Ashu. But just talk about as we're one week away from World Semicolon Day, why you thought it'd be a great time to have both Chris's on today. Thank you so much, Dean, for having us. Yeah, these are uh, difficult times. As, as you know, in the past couple of years, people are, are having to deal with a pandemic. School children are dealing with isolation and, and several aspects of pressures, whether it's college pressures you know, to get in, which are unseen times, or younger children with various stresses on their parents, the economy, there's a war going on, having to deal with issues regarding race or gender. There's just so many issues going on specific to the API community. There are many cultural aspects in which mental health does not get talked about. There's pressures from the model minority myth that people in the API community are thought of to be more successful naturally, that they don't have any issues or problems. There's an anti-Asian sentiment of hate. In particular, recently, there's a lot of hatred toward Asian women in particular. So that's yet another stress. The expectations that are placed on us. And um, when I met the two Chris's at the convention, I, I just thought automatically these are two terrific guests for us to have. And, and we want to try to do something to shed light on mental health, use their expertise and their suggestions to increase awareness and to let people know that there are very good resources out there that I think many people aren't really uh, familiar with. 
Well said, Ashu, and we are going to start with Chris Malanab, who, as I already mentioned, has a story to tell. And as we go to him, I first want to say that I feel like I speak for the entire association, United Soccer Coaches, when I say that we appreciate your courage, Chris. We appreciate you wanting to tell your story to help others that might be dealing with some really tough times right now and your willingness to help them. We were all devastated recently when Katie Meyer, the Stanford goalkeeper, who many of us probably felt like we knew her, and of course we did not, died of a suicide. And I want to thank you for also reminding me that the proper term is died of a suicide, not committed suicide. So thanks for that education as well that you gave me offline and that I share now as well. But with that, thank you, and I'll thank you again, and I'll thank you later, but I will give you the floor to tell your story. Yeah, 2019, January, was when I had my attempt. Something in the universe said, it's not my time to go. I was waking up and taken to the hospital. I think there's a big misconception that I work in sports, I work in something I'm passionate about, and things are all happy. Things are all good. Well, that wasn't the case. And I think it was a buildup of 13 years of feeling alone and eventually getting to that tipping point. I was diagnosed quite some time ago with bipolar disorder, specifically bipolar disorder two. I felt embarrassed as a male working in sports, as well as being someone of API heritage, where mental health isn't necessarily discussed and talked about. I kind of hit a wall I went into autopilot, to be honest. I, I don't remember writing a letter. I don't remember giving things away, which are some of the signs, some of the red flag warnings. You know, like I said, January 6th, I had my attempt. January 7th, I'm in the emergency room. I remember being strapped down in a gurney with a bracelet that said fall risk. And then shortly after, I was taken into a hospital to where I was on a 5150 watch, which is a suicide watch. And then I was there for about one week. And then slowly, after I got out, slowly worked with my psychiatrist and found a new therapist that fortunately given me the tools. And we found a, we found meds that, that have helped balance me to say that everything's all good. It's, it's not, I mean, there's, there's certain days that, that challenge me more than others. There's, you know, I, I face with mania. I, I, I deal with depression and to be honest, it's kind of weird because I've, I've been having to manage both ends of that. It's kind of weird to be quote unquote normal in the middle because I don't really have anything to, to manage. And, and so it's kind of, it's kind of an interesting point, you know, when I, when I get to that kind of middle of the road mood, that's my story. That's where I'm at. And having had the attempt and, and obviously being here today, I've wanted to use my platform and, and my voice to to let people know that they're not alone, that we all have people that love us. And the best way to show that we love them back is to take care of ourselves and, and be here for them tomorrow because they want to hear our voice. Chris, when did you get the diagnosis of bipolar and was it before your suicide attempt? And can you shed some light on, was it the bipolar? Was it something else in your life that led to you wanting to attempt suicide? It was about 13 years prior to 
to my suicide attempt when I was diagnosed with a bipolar disorder too. And obviously there's, there's, there's an imbalance that occurs. And, and part of it was, you know, like I mentioned earlier, was that the embarrassment of having to, having to live with bipolar disorder too, and, and just keeping it to myself. And, and I think that's, that's what was part of it that caused me to, to hit that, that tipping point that, and obviously kind of where depression and, and mania kind of hit where I had the the energy from mania, but the depression and it kind of crossed cross paths. And I think that's when, when I kind of went into autopilot and I found means to, to try to end my life. Again, the power of sharing your story, I have to believe is going to make a difference. So I have to thank you again. And as we sit here now having heard you tell your story and knowing that we're about nine days away from world semicolon day you you understand what that means so i'm going to kindly ask you to explain it if that's okay yeah so world semicolon day is april 16th it's celebrated every year um and it started with project semicolon and the meaning behind the, the semicolon from a grammatical standpoint, it's where a, an author could have used a period to end the sentence. However, they chose to use a semicolon to be able to continue that sentence. Um, in regards to life, um, we are the authors, right? And the sentence is our life. And as a suicide attempt survivor, life or the universe um, decided to put a semicolon rather than a period to allow us to continue our life. And so that's, that's where the symbolism comes, comes in with, with a semicolon. So Chris Lee, you've obviously heard this story and probably heard it several times. And I'm pretty sure that you have been there to help support Chris. It's a lot, right? So... Chris Lee, part of our message, your message, what we want to do here today is help others. So what are some signs to be looking for as coaches, as parents, as teachers, administrators, as just people living their lives? Uh, What can we look out for so that we can help people not want to get to this point? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that come into play, but some of the stuff that that really stands out to me, both at a school and with a club, is just creating a, a positive climate. So from a soccer standpoint, we we talk a lot about creating performance environments to to get the most out of our players. From a school standpoint, you you, you look to do the same thing. You know, you you want to have an educational program that will maximize their opportunities to learn and grow. But I think um, one of the things that's a big push is like, how can we make that climate positive? How can we make kids feel safe? How can we make people feel comfortable to talk about what they're thinking, what they're feeling? In a school, that could be things as simple as a check-in, which is no different than when a kid comes to practice and saying a hello or having a, a familiar greeting, checking in about how their day is, going, you know, doing things that go beyond just from a soccer or educational standpoint. I think the more that coaches and educators and coaches as educators do that, the more they help their 
players feel safe and comfortable to share and express what they're thinking, what they're feeling, and know that the coach is available. That's like one of the first and most important screening tools to see if things are coming up. And I think another piece, Dean, that, that stands out is when you do that and you're attuned with your, your, the kids you're working with or the you know, young adults you're working with, I think you're going to be more mindful of warning signs when they do come up. So when Chris talked about going in autopilot, that just sounded incredibly familiar to me from when I used to work as a residential therapist with highly suicidal um, individuals or people that were dealing with significant suicidal ideation was that was a common theme that I heard shared a lot. And so when you're attuned, it's like starting to see what, what, what can that look like? What are behavior patterns that deviate from what that individual's normal behavior would look like? And I use normal, Chris talked about language. I, I use that loosely. I'm saying more like what's typical for them because sometimes with mental health, it's normal behavior is, is going to be abnormal to others, but it's just kind of a cycle that people have to deal with. So I'm not trying to go in a lot of different tangents, but I say the two things to me are creating a positive climate so people feel safe and then being attuned to, the, to those that you work with. So you start to recognize when there's deviations from what would be normal or typical behavior, you know, that could be potential flags to look out for. Chris, because Ashu was very poignant in talking about some of the things that Asian Americans are dealing with and, and people that look like you, quite frankly, and I apologize for not saying it correctly as it relates to Katie Meyer, but in many ways, Katie Meyer looks like what a lot of people think success looks like in this world, and yet she died of suicide. What does it mean when somebody like that, I mean, do you take a different look at it? Because here it is, this uber successful athlete at an uber popular academic school, extremely confident all the layers of what you would deem like, wow, I, I want to be everything she is, decides to take her life. How does that put everything that you've gone through into perspective? Yeah, I, I think kind of going back and, and obviously I can't speak on, on behalf of, of Katie Meyer or her family. Um, I can only speak from my own experiences that being successful is actually a mask. Smiling is a mask. Unfortunately, the hardest thing to do is pretend everything's okay. And so when people see people laughing, smiling and so forth, I think everyone just makes the assumption that it's all good. For example, with, with my experience, January 5th was, was my mom's birthday. We went out to dinner, did everything that I normally do. Woke up, went on a run with, with friends, watched a movie that day. Everything was quote unquote normal, but there's also that exhaustion of faking it. And, and I think, that's where people get so exhausted and, and so, so tired that different thoughts go through their heads. And I, I know that was part of the contributing factor with me. Ashu, I want to bring you back in because that was another poignant word, exhaustion. And, you know, obviously I've mentioned Katie Meyer, but the exhaustion all of us are having right now because of social media and the pressures there. You already touched on the pressures that Asian Americans have had, particularly since the breakout of COVID. You covered that almost a couple of years ago now, Ashu. It's been that long, but that stigma around people that look like you is still out there because of everything that we've been dealing with in this world. So 
I wanted you to shed some more light on how the API community, I think, has to be even more aware of mental health and people that are thinking about potentially suicide. Yeah, Dean, um, I think it's complicated, um, you know, because mental health, it's nonlinear. It's, it's not, you know, something that we can, you know, put a Band-Aid on and it heals after a few, you know, days or, or years. It's very nonlinear. It's, it's very complex. And so specific to the API community, I think, you know, some of the pressures in terms of, you know, occupation choices, you know, we're, you know, uh, sometimes um, South Indian, you know, South Asians are, you know, supposed to be doctors or supposed to be engineers, um, uh, work in IT. And so some of those, you know, so some of us choose to teach or to coach. And sometimes it's those cultural expectations of what we're supposed to be doing or how we're supposed to be doing, or, uh, you know, I work in a school and sometimes, um, you know, stereotypes are made about Asian students supposed to be getting, you know, certain grades. And so there's this sort of feeling of um, navigating uh, life um, as an API heritage, you know, person uh, and not necessarily doing quote unquote, what, what we're supposed to do or what we're thought to be doing. There's that aspect. Um, there's other societal aspects, such as, um, you know, a while back um, there was an NFL uh, interview, there's a position and um, there was an API heritage coach that inter uh, interviewed for a position and was told he wasn't the right minority. And so there's just so many areas to grapple with. What it comes down to is that we all, we all want a place to belong, uh, regardless of our race or socioeconomic background, what we do or who we are. We, we want a place to belong. We want a voice. Uh, we want to be heard. And I think some of the um, areas that the two Chris's uh, have touched upon lead us towards that uh, um, is that uh, we are aware, uh, you know, that mental health and, and, and suicide certainly are, are areas to, to, na to navigate or to, to be aware of. But really, I think what we want to do um, today or in this podcast, at least, is try to come up with some um, resources, some ways that coaches can be aware. And in talking with the two Chris's previously, they just had some really terrific ideas for coaches, whether they're at clubs or schools, to be aware of. We're sharing a document in the API group that we certainly can make public um, to all of the listeners. Um, we can put it into the, into the uh, chat section. I think that part is, is important. Part of forming API, I was inspired to form it, not just to network, you know, not just to express interest in raising awareness about our culture, but um, I had a former um, player who, who died of, of suicide. And so it's close, it's personal. And I just want us, you know, as, as people, as humans to do whatever we can to, to reach out, whether it's to, to our colleagues, to our um, players or students or neighbors, and try to make sure we, we, we don't forget the humanity in all of the episodes that we're, we're having to deal with today. What Ashu's talking about with regards to some of the internal and external pressures that those of API heritage um, um, face. I think that, you know, he's really talking a lot about like from a internal cultural perspective, it can be very difficult because there's certain cultural norms and standards that I think um, some are aware of and some, some aren't aware of as far as like, you know, history um, expectations to honor your elders and, and, and meet certain standards within a family that can make it very difficult for those of API to always be able to find their place with what they want and what they're expected to do. And that, that they would use like 
from a psychology term would be like dissonance or incongruence can be extremely stressful, um, can cause a lot of strain both in, in, in families and also personally. Um, so I think that's one challenge that, you know, in the API community is, is, is very relevant. And then the other piece I was going to talk about, which we, we didn't touch on, but it could go both for API and just, I think globally is like from a religiosity standpoint, there's lots of pressures that are, are placed um, on those that have, you know, different religious values. And I know in the API community that can come to play, but I do um, lectures with my church and I've talked about like stigma and mental health in the, in, in the church. I've talked about how we can create a, a positive climate within, within the church so that uh, young men and young women can feel safe and comfortable speaking with priests about things that historically have been considered flaws in character or flaws in, you know, religiosity issues. Or I'm, Chris, I think gave a, a thing there. It's like not honoring your elders. Or I had a, a young man years ago that I worked with individually as a counselor who talked about, he was told it was demons, you know, demons, demons, demons. I think those are things that are factors that come into play that make it really, really tough that I think people deal with all the time that, that goes beyond just the regular day-to-day -day stressors, but really individual and culturally specific and religiously specific things that push us in directions beyond being our true authentic selves. So that's the only thing I would add to what Ashu said as far as something that people should be mindful of and understand that plays a factor. I don't know if Chris M has more to add, but I know he's, he's shared some other pieces as well before. Yeah. I think part of it is, you know, we're willing to educate people around us that aren't family. I think we, we need to be brave enough to, to do the same with our family. You know, like I mentioned earlier, Dean, where I said, look, I'm going to take a moment because words matter, you know, and, and I didn't correct you. I educated you. Right. And I think that's one thing that we need to, to do more of is educate our family, because I know that most families, it's, it's not that they don't believe in something or, or whatever. It's more so that that's how it's always been. Right. And whether it's religiously or culturally, it's always been that way. So that's how we address it. Right. And so the more I go through things with my therapist and, and psychiatrist and, and even use different things to, to educate myself, I try to pass that along because I know as an individual that if I just let it continue to just boil in, that it, it doesn't help me. Right. I need to let it out in a way that's not disrespectful, but in a way that helps me and helps them by educating them and not holding those emotions in to myself. I appreciate the education. That's so well said. We'll be back with more as once again, Ashu Saxuena has put together an incredible panel here as we're just nine days away from World Semicolon Day and understanding what that means. Such an important topic. We'll be back after these messages. Performance analysis is now recognized as having a crucial role to play in any coaching program. The United Soccer Coaches Performance Analysis Level 1 Special Topics Diploma will provide coaches with real-world examples of how analysis is being used to enhance the individual player development process and maximize team performance. Additionally, successful candidates will achieve Level 1 accreditation as an Applied Performance Analyst from the International Society of Performance Analysis of Sport. Register now by visiting the Master Course Schedule on unitedsoccercoaches.org. 
Welcome back to United Soccer Coaches Podcast with Dean Linky. My name is Ashu Saxena, and I chair the API Coaches and Allies Community Group. And today we're talking about mental health with Chris Malnab and Chris Lee. And before we went to break, we mentioned that um, it's important to be aware of resources for coaches, for our colleagues, as well as our players. And we are eager to share those resources with you now. This is Chris Lee. Uh, I'll go first. One of the uh, most important resources that is also a free resource that a lot of coaches may or may not access is being able to, you know, coordinate or collaborate with a family or with a player around, um, you know, using their school resources. So most of our, our kids attend some form of public or private school. They should have access through that school with social workers, counselors, um, psychologists, others who would be able to create what we would call like a, a, like a coordination of care. So that goes beyond just what you see on the pitch and what you can provide in your, your individual contacts, but also work in other uh, qualified professionals. And I'm not saying coaches aren't qualified, coaches wear lots of hats, but I think in, in some of these more challenging situations where there's a higher level of, of care and coordination that's required, bringing the parents, bringing the school, while being sensitive to you know the players' privacy and, and things like that, can be a really important step that that coaches can take. Not every youth club definitely has the ability or access to have like performance coaches. I know um you know our our club is lucky we we have two special ed teachers. I'm a psychologist. We have another therapist that's on staff, so we have built-in resources that do things more than just uh, coaching. Um, there's a great club down in Long Island, Long Island Soccer Club. I think they have two school psychologists on staff, but not every club's going to have access to that. So use the resources available that are networked through your your players' uh, individual schools. There's some other resources that, from a national level, and individuals need to, to I think, have this readily available. And I think the first is a suicide prevention lifeline. For me, I actually keep that saved in my in my telephone in my favorite section. And that number is 1-800-273-8255. And in fact, Congress just passed, I think it's July 16th of this year. The number will be 988. So it'll be very similar to, to 911. There's also a crisis text line where individuals can text the word home to 741-741. So those are two, I think, emergency and crisis contacts that, that people need to know about. And then there's resources that have been put together, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, the National Institute for Mental Health, and then the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. There's also one that's centered around sport. It's a new nonprofit. It's called the U.S. Mental Health and Sport. And maybe we can put these links in the show notes for this episode. We, we absolutely can. And Chris Malinab, you went through a lot. You shared a lot. You must know that all of us that care about you and I just met you and I care about you are wondering every day that you're doing okay. How do you deal with that part of it? Knowing that people, they're not looking at you because you're Asian, which we already covered. They're looking at you because you attempted suicide. How do you deal with that to make sure we know you're okay? The big thing is, is people that are close to me and, and people who, who I'm close to, I check in with them. They, they, they check in with me. And, and I know it's always easy to say, Hey, if you need help, reach out. It's the last thing that we have the energy to do is, is just reach out. And so I think the, the biggest thing is, is to reach in 
rather than telling someone to reach out, you know, if there's concerns, reach in and, and give an authentic conversation. Don't just say, Hey, how's everything doing? Be specific. My friends have now, instead of just saying, how are you doing? It's how's your mental health? You know, and I think, like I mentioned earlier, words matter. The way we ask questions also matter. And so giving that authentic time rather than I know he's going to say fine and move on, you know, I think are, are ways that we can show that that we're important to, to the people around us. Shoot, I'm going to go back to you. I've already told people that we're going to have you back because next month is API Heritage Month, and we'll probably have you back more than once. We might even try to encourage you or somebody that is comfortable in that seat to do a takeover like Nicole Hercules did during Black History Month. But as we move forward and we really handled a, a very heady topic here today in World Semicolon Day, what are some things that are on your mind as we move into API Heritage Month? We think about Mental Health Awareness Month next month as well. And again, we remind everybody that nine days from today is World Semicolon Day. What's on your mind as the leader of the API Coaches Advocacy Group for United Soccer Coaches? Yeah, Dean, you know, mental health for sure is, is on our minds. Just thinking about all of the, you know, the events that are going on, you know, right now regarding mental health, certainly that, that will still be a um, priority. As, as you know, the days of remembrance and the months of remembrances, uh, it's a day, everyday commitment, you know, to, to various aspects. But um, specifically this year in API Heritage Month, for, for our group, we hope to bring back some of the um, crew from last year and uh, talk about some of the growth of our, our group. Um, we've grown in numbers. We have met many amazing people. Um, the two Chris's on this show are two examples of that. Also to express some of the diversity of our, of our group. As you know, Asia is a big, big region. It's great to see more articles, for example, on ESPN, they start covering the Asian qualifiers, you know, for, for soccer, or we're starting to see that sense of belonging MLS in their hiring practices that have been updated. They now include us on some of the mailings about different positions. We're getting more news about, you know, college positions and our group never really got that. We were never part of those conversations. So we want to talk about the progress of our group and continue to reach out. It's been just amazing to meet people from all kinds of backgrounds, whether their heritage, you know, is Japanese or Chinese, Indian, you know, Vietnamese, Laos, you know, we have all kinds of diversity within our group, but then we also have biracial groups. We have quite a mixture. So we hope to celebrate what API is about and share that with people. We have um, grown in allies. There's, we have many more allies than we've had in the past. We're just excited for the month of May, but we recognize that it's all year round that we have, you know, work to do. We're excited for it and we're going to continue to do the good work. But one aspect that the two Chris's touched on that maybe we'll highlight in a, in a future show is the, the value or the importance of assistant coaches. There's some untapped area that we can explore for all, not just API relevant. I do want to give last word time to both Chris's as well. Chris, as we say goodbye, what are some lasting words that you want to leave? We'll start with you, Chris Molinab, as you poured out your heart, you poured out your all-important story. We are so glad, in fact, that you have the semicolon on your body, which I believe you do. But any last words for you, Chris Molinab? People need to remember if, if they're hitting that, that dark place that you're loved, you're cared for, you're important, you're appreciated, and someone needs you here tomorrow. And, and I think the people around us will help us get through 
through that wave, just know that that you're important. Also, for for those that that are looking to how can I do more, um, I think awareness is great, but providing support to these organizations is just as important. Whether it's donating time or resources or or financial donations, obviously these programs can't just run for free. Looking at local chapters is very important as well. Chris Lee. I think I would just say to the coaches listening or, or those that are, you know, mindful of these things, which, which is hopefully just about everyone, just remember, like, there are always difficult times. And I think right now is, is an especially difficult time for, for young people. We touched on a lot of the pressures they face, you know, social media, climate with war, challenges economically. There's a lot of factors that I think right now are, you know, all, that are right, right in the forefront. But even when those factors aren't there, I mean, it's always tough young people and Chris M touched on it like a lot of people suffer and suffer in silence and I think um, you know the more we're attuned and the more we pay attention the more we can see those those cues and and really be authentic with those we work with and and mindful of that the the, the, the better the environment will be the more likely it is that people will will feel comfortable and safe to to reach to reach out and people will also feel comfortable and safe as Chris M said to reach in. And then we have those kind of environments. That's that's the best thing we can do. Again, on, on top of all the other tasks the coach has to do, creating that positive climate can be can be critical because you never know when that's going to be the difference between someone reaching out, reaching in, or just creating those connections that will will, will keep them here and with us. So coming up, a lot of times we actually use sport to enrich our lives and celebrate so many things, including great athleticism, upsets, the thrill of victory. Coming up, we're visiting with the St. Peter's men's and women's soccer coaches who just watched their basketball team make the deep run. As we record this tonight, North Carolina plays Kansas in basketball. Everybody will be paying attention to that. I wouldn't mind all of you just commenting on the fact we got St. Peter's coming and the thrill of sports and how that brings us so much joy. And we'll start with you, Chris Lee, and then we'll go Chris M, and we'll have a shoe with a final ending. You know, seeing St. Peter's historic run, I think they were saying it was the first New Jersey team since their coach had made a run to the Sweet 16, which was 20-something years ago. Um, that was really exciting to see in uh, North Carolina, Kansas, two, two of the uh, Blue Blood original you know, powerhouse programs going at it. it. It's exciting and it's fun, and can't wait to watch the game tonight. But, uh, you know, more importantly, can't imagine how those kids are feeling right now, getting to go on that stage and haven't been on that stage and just all the emotion. And it's something great for our kids and something great that we're able to do as a country. And it's just in general. It's so important. I think there's, there's so many lessons we can learn in sport, right? Like that coach, just because where they were ranked and, and who they are believed in his group. And I think we set the example, the players, they see the coach believe in the, in a program the players are going to believe in that program and now it becomes a culture. And, and I think attitude becomes contagious. Right. And so I think it's exciting. It's always interesting to see, or to be called a Cinderella team because they made it to the tournament. So how much of a Cinderella are they? <laughs> right. I, I think we underplay their, when we say that, I think we underplay their, their hard work and, and effort. Right. And, and so I think that's one thing I think we need to celebrate more is like hard work and effort is what got these guys here. Not, a bunch of luck, right? It, it's not just a, a make-believe story. It's, it's, it's real. So um, I, I always love those, lo love the run by the, you know, 
the quote unquote lower lower level teams. I love sport and competition. The old saying: never underestimate the heart of a underdog or a, or the, what it takes. You know, the passion of a champion. Uh, any given day, Dean, anything can happen. I mean, UNC is an eighth seed, and here they are in the final against a number one seed, Kansas. And uh, you know, I happen to live equidistant from Chapel Hill and Duke. And so where I teach, I hear both shades of blue and you know, all the rah-rah. And it's just exciting for, for any fan competition. I just, I just enjoy competition, whether it's college basketball or the playoffs and NBA. I mean, right now the NWA cell starting up with the, their tournament and uh, MLS going on. Charlotte's got a new team and, you know, ice hockey playoffs are coming along Stanley cup. I mean, it's just, I just, I just love competition and, um, Hats off to those coaches, coaching staffs, and the and the players for um, having to battle through you know uh, a pandemic the past couple of years, and here they are putting on a show for the country to enjoy. Speaking of a show, the Peacocks put on a show. We'll talk to both their men's and women's soccer coaches after this. Before we do, a shoe, Chris and Chris. Thank you so much for kicking off this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by League Apps. Thanks, Dean, for having me on. Thank you, Dean. Again, thank you so much for having us on. We appreciate it. We hope the listeners get something positive out of it. And we definitely will share those resource links with you. Make no mistake, ladies and gentlemen, and members of the United Soccer Coaches, I do not take this seat for granted. And having amazing leaders like Ashu and finding incredible people like Chris Lee and Chris M willing to tell their stories to try to make a difference to essentially try to save lives is truly nothing short of spectacular and I think it epitomizes and embodies what United Soccer Coaches is all about. At the end of what was a very heady topic, it was great to hear Ashu and both Chris's talk about the excitement of what the St. Peter's Peacocks accomplished in the NCAA basketball tournament. I want to thank Brandon Milburn, the new head of marketing for United Soccer Coaches, for suggesting, hey, why not reach out to the St. Peter's men's and women's soccer coaches and see what they think about all this excitement and also give them a platform to promote what they are doing also in Jersey City. So that's exactly what we're going to do. We'll start with the women's coach for St. Peter's, now officially you know, with COVID mixed in there, really in her second year by way of Australia. She was a big-time player here in college. She played in two World Cups and an Olympics for Australia. We're talking about Julia Bazzi. She'll be up first, and then we'll wrap up the show with the St. Peter's men's soccer coach by way of England, now in his 12th season leading the Peacocks, Julian Richens. Julia Bazzi and Julian Richens continue this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Lee Gaps. United Soccer Coaches would like to thank all 2022 convention attendees, exhibitors, presenters, and volunteers for reuniting in Kansas City. You can relive all of the special moments from the awards banquet and All-America ceremony reception by watching the recordings now available on unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. Remember to save the date for the 2023 convention in Philadelphia, January 11th through 15, 2023. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. As promised, we're going to talk to not one, but two leaders of the Peacocks. The Peacocks from St. Peter's caught the attention of all of us as they made the amazing run to the Elite Eight in March Madness, NCAA men's basketball. 
because this is the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. We wanted to find out who's coaching the Peacocks women's and men's soccer team. And we're joined by the head coach of the women's soccer team by way of Australia, which is awesome. Julia Bazzi now in her second official season, taking out one of those COVID years. Julia, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Thanks, Dean. Thanks for having me. Yeah, let's start with Peacocks as I'm also going to tell your men's soccer coach, but my wife's name is Pavao, and that means peacock in Portuguese. So we absolutely loved it as well. We have peacocks everywhere. So, yeah, I mean, just talk about what it meant watching your team and Coach Holloway make that run all the way to the Elite Eight. Um, it was emotional, right? Even though we're kind of new to the staff, but I felt like home. Little St. Peter's, right? Little St. Peter's. I was walking down the street. I had my soccer jacket on after training, and some guys banging on my window saying, go St. Peter's. I was just like, this is everywhere we went. I was in a showcase in Canada a couple of weeks ago and the coaches all came over and started talking about it. And they're like, oh, St. Peter's needs a VIP chair right now. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> so the attention is absolutely amazing. And that's full credit to the, to um, Coach Shaheen and, and the men's basketball team. It's been fantastic. Well, you were an elite level athlete in college and then went on to play in pro and you played in Olympics and a World Cup as well. So you know what it means to students. Can you put into words seeing what it meant to the students, your student athletes? It gives them belief, right? Because, you know, when you come to a little school like St. Peter's, you know, and you play against big, big programs in their heads, they might be like, can we, can we not? And now there's absolutely no doubt whatsoever that anything is possible. Paint a picture for us. Paint a picture of Jersey City and St. Peter's. If if I were to roll up on Jersey City and St. Peter's, what would I see? A very close-knit community, extremely diverse, which means excellent food. <laughs> um, everyone knows each other. Every team member supports each other. No matter what sport, every other athlete is supporting that sport. Like I said, very, very small uh, you can drive from one end to the other in a minute. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's, it's a great place to work. Let's get to know you and let everybody get to know you as it's a great opportunity to promote what you're building at St. Peter's. But you grew up in Australia, yep. two World Cups and an Olympics, and yet you went to college over here. Talk about your decision to come over to the States to go to college. So I, I, I was with the national team at a very young age, which is great. I pretty much did everything possible by the time I was 18, every tournament that we could do with the national team, played at every level I could play in, in Australia. And then your next thought is, what can I do next to challenge myself? And what better country than the US? Because they're the number one women's soccer team in the, in the world. So that was my next step. And let's go. Let's go against the US girls. Let's see what we can do. They were the ones that knocked me out of the World Cup. So, all right, let's go over. Let's go see what we can do. And came over here and I was lucky enough to play with some fantastic players. And we were able to win two national championships in college as well. So let's dive deeper into that because you picked a small college. Tell us what division it was. I know it's in Tennessee. Tell us about that college. and, so and why you I went to a sports high school in Australia. So every athlete that could represent Australia came to this high school. So when every other person did math class, we would be doing media class or weight training or some form of soccer related activity. So naturally education wasn't at the front of our um, minds. So I didn't, I didn't know anything about SATs, what you needed to do to get into universities. Um, no one back then really told you anything about that. 
you kind of, I had coaches contacting me after World Cups and be like, come to my college, come to my college. I have no idea who they are. Um, I know now who they are and they were Florida State and Baylor University. Knowing what I know now, I probably would have picked a different college. <laughs> but I'm no regrets because I was able to win two national championships with a small school out of Pulaski, Tennessee. And so, I don't think you said the name of the school. Is it still the same name? To, we got to plug that school too. Go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's now the University of Tennessee Southern. Okay, there you go. And what was it called when you played there? Martin Methodist College. Outstanding. Okay. All right. So then you're done. I know you played pro in multiple countries as well during that time playing pro. When did you get the coaching bug? When I was doing my master's, um, I was a grad assistant uh, and, and playing for the Boston Breakers at the same time. So there was a lot going on. I enjoyed it. I'm like, you know, at the time you're like, what do I want to do? You feel like you can play soccer for the rest of your life. You know, you don't think oh, I have to retire at some point. And I, and I had a great mentor there. His name was Jeff Bailey at Franklin Pierce University. He kind of gave me like free rent, just go, go, go train him. So that's when I was like, wow, I actually really like doing this. <laughs> so that's where it started for me. All right. That's awesome because, you know, Franklin Pierce, uh, you know, Mark Krikorian just retired from Florida State, but he won a couple of national championships at Franklin Pierce as well. So tell us everywhere you went along the way, including the stop you had before arriving at St. Peter's. So after Franklin Pierce, um, I continued playing a little bit more. And then I made my way to St. Peter's <laughs> as an assistant. Uh, that was my first kind of real job out of college and playing. And then I got the call to go over to Fairleigh Dickinson University, which in our first year, we won the conference championship for the first time. We're 8-0 in the conference. Luckily enough, I have a lot of friends from overseas that coach. So I was able to bring very good recruits in, which helped. I was there for about two and a half, three years. And then I I was, it was my time to kind of become a head coach. I felt I was ready. So I went to the Fashion Institute of Technology, which is in Manhattan. Fantastic group of girls, right? You would think being fashion girls, they wouldn't be, they were monsters. (laughs) They were great. We had... A great three years there. Um, two out of the three years, I was coach of the year, which was a um, fantastic honor for me being so young and first time being a head coach. So, you know, it gave me a bit of confidence. <laughs> um, and then after that, the St. Peter's opened up again. I'm just like, you know what? I know the conference. I know the school. It's close to my house. Let's go for it. And luckily enough, Rochelle, the athletic director, gave me my chance. And here I am. So real quick before we go back to St. Peter's, but working at the Fashion Institute of Technology, did you learn anything about fashion yourself, Coach? <laughs> well, I think Australians have decent fashion anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, that's for sure. That's for sure. And let's talk a little bit about Australia because I've been around the game enough where I've called some games. I've even called Australia versus USA, and everybody knows about Sam Kerr now. But yes. Devanna was my favorite player. I, I yeah. loved Devanna. Did you play with her at all? I or? did. Yes, I did. Okay. Yeah. She was big time, right? <laughs> yes. So we're kind of, she's a couple years older than me, but she's, um, she's a character. That's all I got to say. <laughs> and she played forever. I mean, she just recently yep. finally hung it up, right? Oh, she's kind of still playing. Uh, this, this last season was her last season. So I'm not okay. sure if she's coming back for another W League season or not in Australia. Uh, but yeah, she was, what a player. <laughs> she's fantastic. And what does it mean for Australia and New Zealand to host the next World Cup? 
Oh, it's, I wish I was 16 again. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was 16. To have your whole family at your World Cups and on home soil, it's, 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 it's awesome. And you know what? I actually think if you go over to the World Cup, which you might, are you going to try to go to the World Cup? I'll try to go. Season? We'll see. We'll yeah. see how it goes. Yep. Tying it back, I think if you wear your St. Peter's stuff around there, I think even people in Australia are going to be aware of what St. Peter's did. Is that a stretch or no? Um, no, actually, you're not wrong there. Um, I know I have cousins that actually watch NBA and basketball and American sports, and they're like all talking about it, texting me, going, is this your school? <laughs> yeah, that's my school. So, yeah, even people in Australia were rooting for the Peacocks. <laughs> all right, love it. So now that we've got this spotlight on the Peacocks, including the women's soccer team, describe to our audience, the 30,000-plus members of United Soccer Coaches, what kind of soccer you like to play at St. Peter's, and where do you recruit from? Are you an international team? Are you state-bound? You know, what's your makeup? So we're, we're building something special here. Uh, we knew the first year coming in was going to be a rebuild. Uh, we got given... 12 players when I came in um, my first season we got it up to like 18 but this season coming we're close to 30 so I don't want to give too much away <laughs> but uh, we've got we're, we're very excited um, my assistants are fantastic as well you know we, we work so hard like you know the limited resources that we have we work so hard we try and get to every showcase we can we're recruiting internationally and domestic. Uh, we actually have more girls from California coming in than we do from the East Coast. And it's reached a point now where we kind of have to pick and choose who we want to bring in, which is a, not a bad problem to have, right? So uh, the type of players we look for are the ones that are going to give us, like you can't teach heart, right? So we want those girls that, you know, just like the basketball team had, those greedy ones, the ones that are going to work the hardest and, and that are extremely coachable. I would rather have 30 of them than the best player in the world in my team. So that's kind of how we operate. And I feel like Coach Holloway kind of said similar things, right, as they interviewed him. And obviously he's moving on, going back to his alma mater, which makes sense, right? Anytime you're at a small school, you make a big run in March Madness, you get paid and you get to go to your dream job. Yeah. Yep. Did, you, did you ever interface with him at all? Yes, we've spoken a few times. He was actually trying to recruit, uh, bring a soccer player over to me. <laughs> uh, okay. So he was on the road calling me. So we were we were 100% behind him. He's a, he's a, such a good guy. That he's is really, awesome. He really is, yep. Speaking of great coaches, right there in New Jersey, the Rutgers women's soccer coach, Mike O'Neill, who also plays a big role with PDA. Have you had a chance to meet him? So we've spoken a couple of times that he actually gave me one of his players. Um, we, we were able to pull one from, from him. Um, Maya Daniels, she's, she's, this is going to be her second season with us. So any interaction I've had with Mike has been lovely. Um, awesome. for, for a guy that's been around for a long time, coaching one of the best teams in the nation consistently um, and being so humble, I mean, that's, it's great. This is what you want when you're interacting with coaches, everyone just to get along and help each other out, right? Yeah, indeed. Yeah. All right. Last word on St. Peter's Peacocks and what all of this joy has brought to you and, and your school. Um, it's, it's just been one of the best moments in school's history. Um, I've got friends coming over that don't even watch sports, <laughs> watching the game. Like it, it was, I was in Canada for one of the games and the whole sports bar was rooting for St. Peter's, the Canadians mm. as well. 
Yes. So it was, it, the experience was phenomenal. I didn't want it to end. <laughs> Unfortunately, everything comes to an end. Um, and like I said, full credit to the men's basketball team and the coaching staff. And hopefully they can do the same run again next year. Indeed. And I hope you have a great run as well. Julia Bazzi, the head coach of the St. Peter's Peacocks women's soccer team. Thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thanks, Dane. Thanks for having me. And we are not done riding the St. Peter's Peacocks train as we meet the 12-year top man for the St. Peter's men's soccer team by way of England, Julian Richens, after this message. Does it feel like all you're doing to manage your team, club, or league is busy work? If so, League Apps can help you get back to doing what you love, delivering a powerful yet simple youth sports management platform from robust registration and payment tools to automated communications and other software integrations. League Apps saves you time and headaches, less busy work, more time doing what you love. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps as we wrap up the show, continuing our discussion with the Peacocks, St. Peter's, the Peacocks capturing the fancy of everybody worldwide as they make the run to the Elite Eight based out of Jersey City. We just met Julia Bazzi, the women's soccer coach. Now we're so pleased to meet the top man for the men's soccer team, Julian Richens in his 12th season by way of England. Julian, great to have you, and man, how exciting is all of this with St. Peter's? Thanks for having me, Dean. Appreciate it. Just a roller coaster, really. I mean, um, you know, the, the the team itself, uh, you know, they're going to be legends around the university, you know, around the, around the town as well. Um, I think the legacy is just going to continue for years. I mean, like, obviously, the sport and achievement is is just a fairy tale. Once they got into the tournament, clearly the players believe that they could win at that level, which obviously they've done. So maybe uh, I know the, the actual uh, Shaheen would like to play, would like to play the Elite Eight game again. There's a few things they would like to differently, but they once confidence goes in and everybody's buying in, obviously you can see what um, you know see what can be achieved. But this time next year in the March Madness and the next three or four years, um, it's always going to be about you know can this team do a St Peter's. So I think the legend, the you know, the the legends that will live on for for years to come of what they've of what they've achieved. Of course, uh, Coach Holloway has moved on to his alma mater, Seton Hall, which often happens when you know some of the smaller schools get in and they make long runs. Their coaches get propped up, and you know, obviously, it's got to be a dream job for him. But you know, just kind of tell us what was going on in Jersey City, the home to St. Peter's, with the the student base and and with you know the faculty and the coaches and that type of thing. What kind of environment was it? It had to have been off the charts, Julian. It was buzzing all around campus, um, you know, from the moment we were in the MAC tournament and obviously they're making a run in the MACs. Once we get into the NCAAs, you know, there's, you know, watch parties at the, at the university, both in the student centre at the uh, at the gym. All around Jersey City, I was getting photos left, right and centre of between peacock heads on, on apparel, on, you know, on drinks, people making cocktails for peacock cocktails in around the local Jersey City bars. Um, it was just absolutely madness. And I, I think um, the players, the coaching staff, and the, I think the story of the school and just the size of it and, you know, what they've achieved just captured uh, not just Jersey City, just captured the nation as well. So like, I'm the soccer coach and my phone was blowing up left, right, and center. <laughs> 
that's obviously not even my sport. So everybody's looking out for it. And, um, you know, it was just a fabulous time for the school. Well, I want to get into the soccer, but uh, obviously we're catching up on, on your accent. I believe you're from England, right, Julian? Yes, I am. Mean, I played uh, Bournemouth, which is on the south coast of England. Wonderful. So, you know, it's not that basketball is totally not existent in England, but it's actually, you know, not the most popular sport over there. Was your first exposure to basketball when you came to the States or had you been exposed out growing up in England? Europe has got a professional league. Um, it's not obviously anywhere near what the, uh, the exposure and the money is here. Uh, but there's some good players playing over there, just trying to make trying to make a living and, and seeing where it takes them. Play basketball when I was, you know, young kids. But you know, soccer's always been number one. Well, just describe one more question on basketball. If you could describe the Julian Richens jump shot or basketball game, how would you describe it, Coach? There's a movie out there that probably described my ups. I think. Um, <laughs> I think um, they just celebrated that movie like thirty a thirty year anniversary yeah, of that. My jump shot will probably be very, very, very slow and uh, maybe very slow, maybe, but very accurate. All right. Obviously, I'm having fun with you. But uh, as you mentioned, you're from the MAAC, which is the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference. And by the way, I graduated from Ohio University, which is the Mid-American Conference. So every time I heard him say Mac, I was just a little bit confused. But tell us uh, what you've enjoyed about being a soccer coach now in your 12th season in the Metro Athletic Atlantic Conference. And maybe you haven't been in that conference all 12 years. I'm not sure, but uh, break it, break it down. Yeah, so, yeah, I got the head coach's job in 2011. So um, St. Peter's been in the MAC the whole time. I was previously at Ryder before, it's also in the MAC, so I had some knowledge of the of, um, of the standard of the players and the tactics, what, you know, the coaches. Um, so it helped me going in. Put this over to the players. I mean, it's just an opportunity. I mean, I've been very, very fortunate coming over from, a, um, from, from Europe and just being given the opportunities I've been given. So for me, every day is an opportunity to to help players be better um, and ultimately win games uh, where we can and, and try and do the best we can for the programme. Every player that we bring in, we just want them to embrace every minute, you know, every day, every week of being a student athlete at St. Peter's. Again, you grew up in England. Tell us your path. So when did you come over to the United States? What made you come over? Kind of walk us through your path, if you don't mind. Yeah, I came over to the States in 98 after graduating uh, Brunel University with a sports science degree. I worked for a coaching company called Noga Soccer, owned and operated by, um, he's very, you know, he coaches a lot in, within United Soccer Coaches, uh, Gary Book. I came over here permanently in 1999. Originally, it was like a working holiday. Um, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do when I was 22, 23. Kind of still thought about playing, but it wasn't sort of happening. Offered an opportunity. I came out to New Jersey and after a couple of years, you know, I, I felt I was reasonably good at this. Just continued with it. So the opportunities just kept coming. A lot of work, seven days a week, as most coaches know. Um, that hasn't stopped um, to this day. So just uh, as the more, the more you coach and the more opportunities come your way. And I, I guess the, probably the better level is that you're being offered. So at the moment I'm coaching, I coach at TSF Academy, which um, has an MLS franchise on the boys' side. Um, I'm also the local technical uh, the technical director for our local soccer club in Hillsborough, where I live, as well as being obviously the head coach, St. Peter's and camps, clinics, individual training sessions. So busy times, but all good. Obviously, we witnessed the basketball team and a really unique collection of outstanding athletes. We also kind of saw their heart and will out there as well, taking on big powers and and knocking them out, you know, just eliminating them all the way to the Elite Eight. What's the best way to describe the makeup of your team? Is it international? Is it jersey-based? Can you describe the makeup of your team, Coach? We recruit players from all around the world. So I think half of our squad, they're internationals. 
um, and the majority of them, of the rest of the squad is, is uh, New Jersey based. You know, we're trying to get wherever we can to compete against some of the, the, the top programs as, as best we can. Um, and we'll look everywhere. We've had players from New Zealand, from, from South America, from Europe. So it's literally just trying to get the best player and the best fit for the, for the player that we're looking for, the profile of player that we're looking for. Now, I'm assuming that the MAAC gets a um, automatic qualifier by winning the tournament, right? Or the regular season? Is there a tournament postseason yeah. for? Yes, there is. Yeah. So um, there's a regular season championship and then uh, there's playoffs as well after that. So the, the, the winners of the playoffs will get the automatic qualified bid. And have you been able to make the NCAA tournament at all, coach? Not yet. Um, we were very, very close in 2019. We'd won the regular season. Um, we had the most most points in match history during the regular season. Uh, we made the final, and then unfortunately we lost the final. Let's go back to, again, I still feel like there are people out there that got caught up in the hubbub of St. Peter's and the Peacocks. You know, everybody loves the Peacocks. As I mentioned, you know, my wife's name, Pavao, means Peacock in Portuguese. So, you know, her whole family was absolutely loving it as well. I mean, what's the best way to describe this university? If we rolled up on Jersey City, what would we find? Uh, you know, Jersey City, is, um, it's an interesting city in general. I mean, um, you go down by the waterfront and you can overlook Manhattan. You've got, um, you know, the World Trade Center to your left. You'll have a... Uh, Statue of Liberty to your right, and it's like it's almost like a mini mini Manhattan downtown. It's like a, there's a lot of businesses there. There's a lot of restaurants. There's a lot of bars, Grove Street area. There's uh, there's a pedestrianised bit, and it's you know farmers markets. It's you know really really hipstery area as well. It's, it's very very unique mix. Some other parts of the city maybe not quite as as vibrant, but they're putting a lot of work in, a lot of money and investment into the city. It's a big big city to drive across. It it's probably around about thirty minutes. I mean. Jersey City traffic could probably take about four hours, but um, it's, uh, it's, it's a big city. So I don't think people quite realize just how big a, big a city is. No, I'm glad you painted that picture. And obviously, Coach Holloway will be a notable staff member of St. Peter's. But how about notable alumni from St. Peter's? Have you been there long enough to know some big-time alumni, whether athletic or academic, uh, that have come out of St. Peter's? Yeah, um, there's, I think there's quite a few uh, politicians who uh, very, very, I guess, graciously have um, made a lot of comments in the last uh, few few weeks. Probably our biggest donor for athletics, Tom McMahon. Um, you know, he graduated, I think he graduated in 69. You know, he's been a massive supporter of the university and, and a massive supporter of the basketball program, put a lot of money into it. Obviously, the longer I work there, um, the, the more people you get to know and you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm getting to the point where um, it's only going to be a matter of time before maybe some of the men's soccer alumni are going to be notable, uh, notable, not only alumni for themselves, but also hopefully donors towards the men's soccer program as well. So maybe they, uh, they etch their name on the field or uh, on the locker rooms or something like that. We'll see. So honored to be joined by Julian Richens now in his 12th season leading the St. Peter's men's soccer team. Of course, remind everybody that St. Peter's caught the attention of all of us by making a run to the Elite Eight coming out of the MAAC conference and knocking off superpowers and kind of tying back to my original question. But as you reflect on it and, you know, obviously, you know, we got to keep moving forward and, and your coach already, you know, left to Seton Hall to go back to his alma mater, but what's the best way to describe how it uplifted the morale of everybody that's associated with St. Peter's. You're really looking at superlatives, really epic, legendary, historic, unique, 
uh, unbelievable, incredible. I mean, the list just goes on and on. It was just a phenomenal sport and achievement. Like I said, I think it's, I, I think fairy tale is probably the wrong words because, you know, there's the, there were obviously the coach, um, as Shaheen got his players believing in, in what they were looking to achieve. And he himself had done it before, um, you know, in the, in the late 90s. So he obviously passed the experience on to the players. And when you, when you have talent, when you have belief, uh, you have commitment and buy-in, um, you've obviously seen what that happens. And I think it was there for all to see as well. Like when maybe a Mac, I think that when a Mac team goes to the tournament, they're expected to be beaten. You know, when St. Peter's made the Elite Eight, I don't think we quite realise the legacy that they believe in on Jersey basketball as well. So, I mean, before this year, the last Jersey team to make the Elite Eight was, I think it was 2001. And, we, you know, we've got, we've got IVs and we've got Big Ten programmes here. So that, that achievement is phenomenal. Um, but one, once the players were getting, you know, in the first, second, third games, it was like it was, you know, a regular game for them. You know, they 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 believe they were there, and obviously they did. You know, they did the business on the day. So, it goes to show what opportunity brings and, and talent and behaviour. That's so well said. Just two more questions for you, and we'll let you get back to uh, doing great things at St. Peter's as the men's soccer coach. But uh, you know, obviously, this is the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, formerly NSCAA. You did a great job telling your story on coming over here in 98, 99. When did you come across United Soccer Coaches, then named NSCAA, and what has that organization meant to you? It's been a really good journey. I was fortunate enough in, in, my, in my coaching company. We had, um, we had three coaches already involved who, who introduced us to that. So we went through the education process, ended up getting my premier license, um, went to pretty much every convention from 2003. Um, some of the, the instructors on the courses have always found they're there to make you better, they're there to help. Whereas maybe as you do other courses, it's always more, almost more like an evaluation of you as a coach. But I just it was very welcoming when you go to those courses. You know, you, you know, you also spend a lot of money as well. So to say you get value for money is um, is, an, is an understatement of those uh, of the programs that they offer. And obviously they've continued. They've obviously rebranded, and their uh, their strength just continues. Coach, right before you, we were able to meet Julia Bozzi, the women's soccer coach, now in her third year. Can you talk about the relationship you have with her? We see each other daily, um, try and bounce ideas off each other, shared recruiting recruiting contacts um, where, where possible, trying to really just ri rise that rise the program. I mean, it's the, the program itself over the last 10, 15 years has, has gone through some ups and downs. And um, I think I want to say, they just had the most wins in conference history for the women's soccer program. So they're obviously just looking to, to go from strength to strength and put themselves in a position where they can make the playoffs. You know, Julia's going to go on and do a, do a good job there. Folks, if you want to know more about Coach Richens and Coach Bozzi for St. Peter's men's and women's soccer, respectively, you can go to St. Peter's. It's S-A-I-N-T, peterspeacocks.com. Coach Thanks for letting us uh, touch base with you as, again, the Peacocks capturing all of our attention, even folks that don't love basketball, because, you know, we all love soccer on this podcast, but glad to give you guys the spotlight. It's well-deserved, and uh, good luck this fall season. All right. Thank you very much, Dane. Appreciate it. Spend time with the St. Peter's women's and men's soccer coaches, and, of course, we want to thank Ashu and the two Chris's for kicking off our show, talking about mental health and also – the World Semi-Colon Day coming up on April 16th. 
for Brandon Milburn and Bailey Conklin, our producer Colin Thrash, and all of our great members at United Soccer Coaches. I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Lee Gaps. Thanks for listening to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. To learn more about League Apps, find them at leagueapps.com or as League Apps on all of the social networks. And to learn more about United Soccer Coaches, visit us at unitedsoccercoaches.org.